Bugle, audio newspaper for a visual world. Hello, Buglers, and thank you for listening. Let's get that one in early this week. Bye. Sorry, that was premature. <laughs> anyway, welcome. That's better. To issue 4073 of The Bugle, the factually unbecrumperable podcast that has been jabbing sticks at the twitching corpse of news since 2007. I am Andy Zaltzman, the de facto fourth musketeer, according to the French novelist Alexandre Dumas himself albeit that I was rightly fired before the uh, novel uh, began to be written for being no good at sword fighting and wary of horses. Uh, so I never made the book, let alone the cartoon dog version on the TV. Another opportunity missed. I am here in London and joining me today, well, the third millennium has been officially declared the International Millennium of Women. Interesting follow-up <laughs> to the last few millenniums, which were both officially and unofficially the International Millennium of Men, the International Millennium of Manliness, the International Millennium of Patriarchies, and the International Millennium of the Willy. I can't remember in which order they came. Anyway, this millennium, the International Millennium of Women, a uh, momentous occasion for, the, uh, for our species. And to mark this, I'm joined by the Bugle's official correspondent from the female hemisphere, Alice Fraser. Hello from Flatland. <laughs> Family show, Alice. Family show. <laughs> uh, uh, welcome. Uh, how are you? I'm very well, Andy. I'm very happy and well, and, and it all seems to be going absolutely well. Right. I haven't read the news. <laughs> well, that is clearly, as we've probably discussed in this programme before, the absolute only path to happiness in the modern world. It really is. Uh, yeah. As I, I've been simul- similarly um, incubated from reality uh, this week by, um, in my secondary job as a cricket statistician <laughs> on the radio. Um, which but it's I meant primary to, in your heart. It, absolutely. Uh, it's primary in my diary at the moment as well. <laughs> and um, uh, so I've been doing uh, radio <laughs> for the BBC and saw England uh, set the world record highest score in a men's one-day international cricket match against the once mighty but now fallen Australia. And... I think I can see tears welling up in your eyes. <laughs> I tuned out about 30 seconds ago, but I just oh, kept no. the expression of interest on my face God. out of self-defence. All the Australians I get in the show don't give a shit about cricket. Which <laughs> <laughs> is sometimes good and sometimes I get, annoying. I like playing it, Andy. Right. I like playing That's the game. Good. You use that as a gateway into yeah. the real stuff of watching it and thinking about numbers. Also joining us today, alongside Chris, in the tech truck. We have a massive tech truck. It's alongside mine and Alice's trailers behind the security <laughs> fencing and a moat. We have a guest producer this week. It's guest producer Mark. Uh, hello, Mark. Hello, the- Andy. Hello. Hello, Alice. Hello. Uh, Mark uh, bid to be guest producer in the fundraising, uh, the Radiotopia fundraising drive last year. Welcome to... Uh, he's keeping Chris on a tight leash. <laughs> Through the window there, I can see a look of terror in Chris's eyes. I don't know what's going on right now, and I'm really, really nervous. <laughs> I haven't seen that look of fear in his eyes since he did the shark triathlon. <laughs> to be fair, the yeah. sharks only have an advantage in one leg of the triathlon. Yeah, often by that, they've built up an insurmountable leap. <laughs> <laughs> on this day in 1633, the 22nd of June, the Holy Office in Rome forced Galileo Galilei to recant his view that the sun was the centre of the universe uh, rather than the earth. Uh, turns out they were both wrong. It's actually somewhere else entirely. Uh, it's over there, somewhere <laughs> miles away. Uh, but was Galileo right that the earth actually revolves around the sun rather than the other way around? I guess we'll never know in this post-factual age, but fair play to Double G for raising the question. Personally, I don't give a shit. What is in it for me? Is it going to save me money? Well, they can both revolve the f- 
around who the f*** they like. Sorry, I'm a product of my political times. On this day in 1969, the Cuyahoga River in Ohio caught fire, Alice. A river caught fire in America. Oh, yeah. that brings to mind the quote of a far north Queenslander nearby some fracking where he lit, lit his tap on fire and went, oh, yeah, it's not supposed to do that. <laughs> well, America realised that water wasn't really supposed to do that. It drew attention to the problem of water pollution um, and was a, a major factor in the kicking off of the environmental movement in America. Of course, we now know that the burning river was a hoax perpetrated by a combination of the Chinese government and the renewable energy industry. But, you know, at the time it seemed authentic. Um, 1986, on this day, the famous Hand of God goal was scored by Diego Maradona in the quarterfinal of the 1986 FIFA World Cup between England and Argentina. <laughs> and just minutes later, scored the greatest goal in World Cup. F***ing cheat! sake. <laughs> <laughs> Which also means that it's exactly 32 years since an 11-year-old boy in Tunbridge Wells learned the true meaning of injustice. Uh, tomorrow, the 23rd of June, is the second anniversary of the day Britain voted in the Brexit referendum. Oh, and if you don't want Jesus. to know the final result of that referendum, please look away now and put your fingers in your ears for the next 100 years. And remember, in the meantime, just believe. And if that doesn't make you feel better, believe harder and less Spanishly. For our overseas buglers, if you wish to negotiate a trade deal with Brexit Britannia, please send your initial negotiating position into Hello Buglers at the Bugle podcast and mark your email... If I know. <laughs> Tom- tomorrow. I mean, you say that as a joke, Andy, but there were bugle socks in North Korea, so. <laughs> just never know. On the 24th of June, 1374, so uh, on Sunday, <laughs> let's do some maths here, uh, 642 years, no, uh, 44 years ago, roughly, a sudden outbreak of dancing mania caused people in the streets of in Germany to hallucinate, <laughs> begin to jump and twitch uncontrollably and dance until they collapsed from exhaustion. Ah, that's the facts on which uh, that, that uh, documentary with Kevin Bacon is based, right? Right. I'll take your word for that. Which, which one is that? <laughs> I don't know. Is this the bread thing? No, it's the one where he goes... No, it's not got nothing to do with bread. Footloose. 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 Ah, there we go. Sorry, I'm slightly out of the loop on my 80s films. I was too busy crying about the World Cup quarterfinal in 1986. (laughs) But at the end of all that, uh, Ludwig and Helga were voted off. Um, On this day in 1916, Mary Pickford became the first female film star to sign a million-dollar contract. Um, a huge day in the history of film, 102 years ago on uh, on on, uh, on Sunday. Uh, exclu- we have exclusive footage from the uh, press conference which the uh, silent movie star Pickford held <laughs> after signing her deal. Mary, Mike's back, Daily Star. What have we got to say about suggestions that male stars, including your future husband Douglas Fairbanks, are paid much more than you are? Uh, uh, Mary, you, you certainly looked a bit cross there, uh, but uh, do you think that within a decade or two we will see equality between the genders in the movie world? Uh, well, Mary, that was certainly a, a look of sad resignation, but how do you think <laughs> you will cope with the pressures of becoming the first million-dollar actress? Mary, it's very interesting that you should have held up a blackboard with white lettering painted on it saying, Oh my, but is there any facial expression, ideally combined with some kind of hand gesture, that you could do for your many fans who look up to you as a role model? Mary, 
Mary, can you look mildly excited for us in a subtly erotic way? <laughs> <laughs> As always, our section of The Bugle is going straight in the bin. This week, slightly late, uh, The Bugle Solstice Special, including a free audio henge. We've had stone henges, wood henges, uh, paper henges and scissor henges, I think, as well. Uh, and we add to your henge collection now with the free Bugle Audio Henge. Print this show out in 18-point aerial font. Lay it on the ground on Midsummer Night, and at dawn, the sun's rays will shine in a direct line through every single vowel. <laughs> Uh, also, uh, this week, a free lobster in association with the International <laughs> Shellfish Association. Please collect from the seabed 500 metres below the surface off the coast of Newfoundland. The bugle cannot be held responsible for you or your lobster drowning each other. <laughs> that section in the bin. Yeah, yesterday was the summer solstice. It goes yep. so fast. Time, <laughs> time flies when you're having sun. Boom! <laughs> I think we can probably end this show right here. <laughs> Please. <laughs> well, the intros are getting longer. <laughs> <laughs> Top story this week, as chosen by guest producer Mark Melania's Coates, uh, perhaps the greatest moment in the history of uh, presidential auxurial fashion. Um, Melania Trump wearing a coat with a slogan on the back saying, I really don't care, do ah. Uh. Is it up or how do you pronounce that? <laughs> it's modern spelling of you, Andy. Oh, is, it, is that progress? Mm-hmm. I mean, this is uh, this is huge. I mean, I don't generally wear slogans um, on my clothing. Uh, I wear them sometimes on my face, and they often <laughs> say, I love cricket. Um, <laughs> particularly when I was at work yesterday. Uh, work. Um, but this is possibly the most striking slogan on the back of a first lady's coat since Grace Coolidge wore a knee-length <laughs> Macintosh with the words, let's say fair, a possible sly dig at her husband, her husband Calvin's laissez-faire politics. <laughs> Maybe even since Francis Cleveland's notorious Are You a Grover Groover slogan on her duffel coat that was seen on the 1888 presidential campaign train. Maybe even since Lucretia Garfield donned her famous You Dig Me cagoule in June 1881. <laughs> Possibly an apparent endorsement of a p- proposal to turn the state of Maine, abbreviation M-E, into the centre of US coal mining. Uh, possibly not. We, we just we just don't know. Uh, I mean, you could even see it as the most notable coat phrase since Martha Washington's double-breasted Brunswick jacket <laughs> emblazoned in gold lame thread with the words, amend these, with arrows pointing directly. <laughs> let, let, let's not judge women by that. <laughs> the question is, Alice... What did Melania Trump, the world's most prominent hostage, <laughs> actually mean by those words? Look, I don't know if she can read, Andy. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I ju- no, I don't, I don't know anything about her. I think this is probably the most politically statementy coat since way, way back many centuries ago, not long after the Bible began. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to see see beyond that. I mean, her, her spokes uh, her spokeswoman said it's a jacket. There was no hidden message. No, because it was written in words. Yeah, I mean it was very much not hidden. It was very much on on a f-ing jacket on the wife of a president, and not just any president, but a president who likes to communicate primarily through short, badly spelled, and poorly punctuated messages. <laughs> And a wife whose main method of communicating with the outside world has been through looks of panic in her <laughs> eyes. So saying it's just a jacket in these circumstances is 
you know, like similar to a news anchor saying it's just normal human skin, like a bit of someone's regulation face after unzipping his trousers and making his <laughs> penis read the stock market news whilst doing a funny voice. Yeah, I don't know. With Melania Trump, it's such a difficult thing because either she is a f***ing idiot. <laughs> Let's not rule that out. And the terrible victim of some sort of awful Stockholm syndrome, which is... Let's not rule that out either. <laughs> Or else she's just a really awful person. Like, those are your two options. Let's not rule any of those three <laughs> options out. <laughs> I mean, she could be a bit of everything. There was no hidden message. As I said, that's... Uh, I mean, that's, that is fair. Uh, it was very much unhidden uh, on, on her coat. I mean, the hidden message was the one scrawled in marker pen on the inside lining of the coat saying, <laughs> for fuck's sake, please help me. <laughs> but, um, I mean, is it possible that she was she didn't know about it? That she was the victim of a ride-by graffitiing by a sprayed can-wielding cyclist. I mean, maybe she's being bullied, Andy. Maybe this is the kick-me of <laughs> international <laughs> politics. Maybe uh, maybe Kim Jong-un sneaked in and rode it on her back. It's possible. I mean, what, what, is, the, what, does she, what is it that she's not, not caring about currently? I mean, I, mean, I, re- I really don't care. I mean, Because she, she was going to visit some child asylogrants... <laughs> in one of America's charming, um, charming uh, rece- reception centres, uh, baby prisons, <laughs> I think they, they call baby them. Prisons. Um, the the must-have accessory for any new parent uh, wanting to move to America. Um, <laughs> did she not care about them? Did she? Was it a core message of the need for more political apathy? That uh, history has shown as one of the most powerful forces in politics. That if you can apathise a sufficient quantity of your electorate away from the polling station, it's so much easier to win. Was this the first gambit in the 2020 president, or even her own bid for the presidency in in 2024? Maybe it's a genuine question. Right. Maybe maybe it's a, a the genuine question of a curious alien life form trying to figure out what human emotions are. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that is a question she's been wrestling with for many years. She's data from Star Trek. Please right. explain your human emotions. <laughs> Her husband, um, Donald, claimed that this uh, was... Oh, after Melania's spokeswoman said there was no message, uh, husband uh, Don stepped up to the plate and said, there was a message. <laughs> she was referring to the fake news media, uh, which, according to Donald, the acting president... Sorry, the, the Achtung president of the USA. Oh, this is about right. Melania has learned how dishonest they are, and she truly no longer cares. This is, I mean, it's a heart-rending, a heart-rending tale. If you no longer care about fake news, where does that leave humanity? Off Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> God, that might be a step forward. Now, I'm absolutely not up to the minute with the latest developments in fashion, Alice, um... Fashion and I made a not particularly amicable agreement to go our separate ways several decades ago now, around about the time that I stopped wearing nappies, which were very trendy at the time for people in my age bracket and demographic. Um, when I don't really fully understand the T-shirt slogan, although I suppose it saves you having to say your five-word philosophies of life out loud to every single passerby on the street, which I guess could get, could get wearing. But uh, when you're a major public figure and you feel the need to use the back of your f***ing jacket to communicate... Questions will rightly be asked. In Baby Jail's news now, (laughs) Trump has declared his intention to end the inhumane separation of immigrant families, a policy that ended up in mass outcry after the creation of what are being called tender age facilities, (laughs) a.k.a. baby jails. (laughs) 
I love babies. They are adorable. It's their only survival mechanism is being so adorable you can't put them in the bin. (laughs) (laughs) But that is why this policy is so inexplicable. How detached do you have to be from reality to think baby jail is a good idea? Babies need hugs and love and someone to puke on. They don't need tiny prison tattoos. (laughs) (laughs) And a bucket to puke in. Um, This is a a bizarre bizarre story. And um, uh, Trump has... uh, Well, he's... Ridden to the rescue of his own dark, fetid soul by rowing back on his own policy. I'm not sure that gets him many credit points, to be honest. Uh, behind this, also Mike Pence, Man of the Year yet again from the influential magazine The Christian Hypocrite. Um, uh, Jeff Sessions, or to give him his actual full name, Jefferson Beauregard Sessions the <laughs> Third. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and the Jefferson and Beauregard, uh, those two names have passed down through two generations of the Sessions family, both Confederate war heroes. Um, so they've stuck with that through several generations, the Sessions. But anyway, let's not judge him on uh, his, fa- his uh, family uh, names. He's even been criticised by members of his own church for using the Bible to justify caging children. He quoted Romans 13... Uh, Romans 13, of course, sounds to me like a disappointing effort in a game of Empire v Empire snooker <laughs> when the Romans <laughs> ran out of position after pot- potting red, black and red, had a run-up to Bolt to take the green, but then left themselves poorly positioned for the next red, which, although potable, left them with no angle to get on another colour, leading to an ill-advised long pot on a tricky peak. <laughs> End of break. Letting the Assyrians in with the red spread and an opportunity to clinch the frame in one visit. Romans 13. <laughs> Um, I mean, Andy. Yeah. <laughs> Tied a long train journey. Like, political satire does not equal imaginary snooker games. <laughs> Why did you not tell me that 15 years ago? <laughs> My career could have been so different. <laughs> uh, there was this bizarre uh, policy to uh, separate children from their parents, which, as a parent, uh, I know is not generally a good idea in terms of not ending up with screaming children and particularly if you then put those children in as you describe it a baby cage uh, I mean the tears will flow there I mean there's no no one likes a and crying not the child. cool little ones that you tattoo on your face like proper tears <laughs> it, it suits you very well Alex. Um, but he's sort of benevolently moving to end this state of affairs that he directly brought about yes. himself while demanding congratulations and blaming all the bad stuff on the Democrats <laughs> we have always been at war with Oceania like <laughs> I used to think you watched the news to find out was what was going on in the world, but now I watch it to find out what side I'm meant to be on of an argument I didn't know existed yesterday but is now fundamental to my self-conception and moral status that I need to argue for on Twitter while I'm on the bus today. <laughs> um, so th- it's been replaced with this new, slightly vaguely worded executive order uh, to slam up families together, or <laughs> maybe is it, or they, are they going to sew them together end to end? We don't know at this early stage. Or maybe strap them together and catapult them back to Latin and Mexico or wherever they come from. Um, more than 2,000 children were separated from their parents as a result of the so-called zero-tolerance policy, zero-tolerance for immigration and basic human decency and simple manners, really. Uh, And, I mean, it looks bad for now, but (laughs) let's try and find the positives in this, Alice. Think of the joyous emotions when just a few of those 2,000-plus children are reunited with their parents. Surely those inspiring, heart-lifting moments are worth, worth the slightly Gileadish awkwardness of seeing screaming children locked in cages. 
Sure. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get back to you on that one. This um, is looking on the bright side uh, in the way that you refuse to put a piece of paper in front of your eyes when you're looking at the sun during an eclipse. <laughs> <laughs> also, it helps us appreciate our own lives and our own offsprings uh, more. Uh, because, as they say, freedom is never truly appreciated until it has been taken from someone else's child and shown on telly in a cage. Uh, and of course, yeah, I heard that one as freedom is never truly appreciated until it's shat on by c- <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, my f- my favourite male fragrance as well. <laughs> Chaton. <laughs> Famous German f- fragrant here. What, what do you call someone who makes fragrances? Perfumier. Good point. Um, I was going to say something very unacceptable then. <laughs> the right to um, put babies in... in Baby prisons. Uh, what are they called? Baby jails. Um, tender age care facilities. Age care facility, um, was enshrined in the US Constitution in the little known Amendment uh, 4.5b, subclause 2, the right to lock children in a cage, point at them, jab them with a stick, and chant, Where's your mummy gone? Where's your mummy gone? You know, if it's right for America in the 1790s. Maybe this is just Trump trying to facilitate the reintroduction of the very popular 90s phrase, Who's your daddy? <laughs> <laughs> Which is never more uh, arousing than when it's being screamed at you by a soldier. <laughs> I'll take your word of that. Um, and he, maybe he's just... Because he, he, he's gone back on his policy, and we know how he, he worked. Maybe he's realised that it is increasingly, in the modern world, hard to monetize crying children in cages. Because <laughs> human taste for circus entertainment have shifted over the years. The problem, uh, politically, I guess... Alice, is that ripping children away from their parents and putting them in cages might be fun, but it, it has a tendency pr- to produce what media wonks might describe as bad visuals. <laughs> <laughs> and and we saw this with, when Trump explained why he was going back on it. He said, I didn't like the sight or the feeling of families being separated. So the idea of families being separated was evidently fine, <laughs> and but it took the actual sight of crying children to make him realise that maybe families might not like it, um, it might upset them. And evidently, and was, more importantly, it might upset him to see it. It might upset him and his supporter base. And More than half of Trump's supporter base were opposed to this, this policy. And that, that's quite an impressive act of political gymnastics for him to alienate his own uh, supporter base. It evidently, it was a bit too much of an imaginative leap uh, for, for Trump to imagine that this might be upsetting. He had to actually see it and feel it. I mean, he is to empathy what Julius Caesar was to 1980s hip-hop, <laughs> not, not even aware of its existence, although it would be very interesting to see what happened if he gave it a go. <laughs> and to be fair to Trump as well, from his own personal background, he had no way of knowing that people might actually like their own families. <laughs> <laughs> even love them rather than viewing them as just expedient political He probably political thought analysts. he was doing them a favour. Yeah. <laughs> I've wanted to get rid of all of my families. <laughs> Space Force news now. The United States Space Force is a proposed sixth branch of the United States Armed Forces intended to have control over military operations in outer space. And that is on the table, a a Trump initiative, and it confirms my idea that America has lost sight of the difference between what makes good television and what makes a good world. (laughs) 
Like, is there a difference? There, is there really a difference? Well, then let's do a crossover with North Korea. It would be great. <laughs> like goths in far north Queensland who think they can pull off ankle-length black coats and a knife collection because Neo wore them in the Matrix, forgetting that Neo isn't real, the Matrix isn't real, and it's too hot to do anything that looks cool in Queensland because nothing is cool there. <laughs> I don't think this is a great idea. Just because Harry Dresden, wizard detective, can pull it off doesn't mean you can. I mean, the man has arcane knowledge and a heart of gold. Why the White Council can't get on board with that is beyond me. You've completely lost me, Alice. (laughs) Well, I mean, this is a fascinating idea that um, a, a country which is consistently talking about how they've been overstretched and that they shouldn't be the policemen of the world have decided that they now want to be the policemen of outer space. <laughs> well, I mean, it's only a matter of time now before Trump starts complaining about the aliens not putting in their fair share of money into the American uh, Space Force. And it's been called uh, by P- PBS NewsHour, it has been called uh, premature but inevitable. <laughs> <laughs> In extremely ominous news now, <laughs> the United States is so basically set... everything in this show could have come <laughs> under that. <laughs> the United States is set to withdraw from the United Nations Human Rights Council, calling it anti-Israel. Right. Uh, you know Israel. Uh, I'm aware of it. Country yeah. instituted after World War II on a piece of land sacred to three religions. It's a social experiment in how quickly an oppressed group can lose the moral high ground. <laughs> right. The point is that they are withdrawing from the UN, and it is a nice thing to know how long the lessons of two world wars last. Right. right? The trade-off, if you want to know the maths, is about 60 to 100 million lives for people to realise that frustrating administrative bureaucracy is better than going with your gut on nation-state policy. Yeah, but it's best to be sure of that, isn't it? You have to do the experiment properly. And it, if it had been only 50 million lives, then how would we have known for sure? Well, this is the problem. We don't know exactly how many lives. It sort of depends on oh. if you factor in deaths by diseases and famines caused by the war and how much you deny the Holocaust. Oh, right. You know, you've got your, what do you mean, six million Jews? It was only four million tops. And then you've also got your, the, the ovens were only for pizzas. Like, there's, <laughs> it depends on where you fall on that spectrum as to how many lives you think were lost. But it sort of figures out to about um, the lifetime of a human being before everything goes to shit again. Right. Well, I mean, that is really, I mean, you say ominous news. I mean, <laughs> ominous, massively depressing <laughs> Um, Look, I, I I'm mean, sure there's many other human rights councils America will be only too happy to join. Maybe the the, the North Korean um, um, human rights council. They can yeah, have a... I mean, the point is I'm sure there might thing. be some good reasons to withdraw from the UN... But when you take in timing, context and recent playdates, it does look a lot <laughs> like telegraphing some sort of gestural intention towards perpetrating or condoning unacceptable human rights abuses. Just right. sort of, yeah. kind of, we're f***ed. Yes. <laughs> I guess particularly when at the same time you're putting babies in baby jail. <laughs> yeah. yeah, when you combine the two factors, yeah. uh, it does it does smell a little fascisty. Yes, Oh, isn't it lucky I've spent most of the last two weeks watching cricket instead? (laughs) World Cup news, and, well, the World Cup is fully underway, an absolute festival of cheating, (laughs) time-wasting, tactical negativity, annoying fouls, complaining, looking at replays, complaining about replays, complaining about people looking at replays, saying the word nil, and more (laughs) time-wasting. A beautiful game. Humanity's favourite pastime. The big story 
Alice, of course, is that England, for the first time in living memory, were not total and utter shit <laughs> in a World Cup match. They even won their opening match 2-1. Take that, Tunisia, you post-Carthaginian has-beens. <laughs> Hannibal couldn't hack it at the top level. And even if you are still, still apparently using his elephants in your central defence, you've copped another defeat to a mighty European power. Are we still European? Who gives a shit? Despite all the advantages Tunisian football has over the English game in terms of proximity to large deserts, location on an equator-spanning continent, a smaller player pool to choose from, thus making it easier to work out the ones who are good and the ones who are shit, and not being hamstrung by the general sense of the declining global socio-political power and influence of, the, of predominantly white European countries, which must surely weigh heavy on the England boys. We overcame the odds to heroically, <laughs> as a nation, collectively nod in a chancy winner at the back post in injury time <laughs> to make everyone forget about everything. This is proof Brexit is working. It's and absolutely the, working. A first step towards a better world for this uh, plucky nation. <laughs> Uh, in in uh, World Cup commentary news, Simon Kellner has published an opinion piece entitled Female World Cup Pundits are a Step Forward for Diversity but Not for the Quality of Coverage in which he says, My only question, and I pose it nervously, is why did our major TV channels feel the need to have a female present on, presence on their World Cup panels? <laughs> <laughs> He goes on to say, the fact is that the World Cup is competed for exclusively by men, which is how it should be. That the second bit, is a bit, I added that. Uh, <laughs> it's not to say that only men have a right to comment on professional football, but my intuition is that TV bosses sought to have women on the panel for reasons of appearance rather than to satisfy a latent demand to hear their opinions. And isn't that tokenism in and of itself? Uh, I mean, I have better arguments against the, this position, Andy, but it's so incredibly weaselly and annoying that I can't marshal any of them. Man, isn't it just tokenism? <laughs> your face is tokenism, Simon. Shove it in your smug hole, you flaps racist. Right, I mean, I've, I've got... Um, I, mean, I, do, I have some sympathy in, in the sense that, as someone who occasionally watches football on television, what I want from pundits is... Complacent, <laughs> unresearched views based on playing experience, unencumbered by having actually watched the game in any detail. And what the female pundits have tended to bring <laughs> is research and analysis, and an attempt to provide genuine insight for the viewer. And that is that is emphatically <laughs> not what sports punditry is supposed to be. I mean, this is this is the problem, Andy. In order to get a position in a male-dominated area, you have to be kind of better than your equals at your level, um, which means that equality, what equality will look like, Andy, is women being shit. <laughs> <laughs> like, the more shit women are, are in positions of power, the more we know it's working. Right. Uh, I don't know. I, I think the underlying argument of, of his argument is women don't like balls, even the ones that say they like balls are only pretending, which does check out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in other uh, sports news, uh, Boris Becker, the former oh, uh, Wimbledon, uh, uh, Wimbledon champion, um, has been involved in a rather bizarre story um, He's claimed that he has diplomatic immunity from um, <laughs> bankruptcy proceedings because he's the official sporting attaché to the Central African Republic. I mean, that is not a sentence <laughs> anyone expects. I mean, I remember watching Becker win Wimbledon yeah. at the prodigious age of 17 with a remarkable display of athletic tennis that catapulted the entire sport into a new age uh, in terms of the way it was played, thinking 
I bet at some point he's going to become a sporting attaché to the Central African <laughs> Republic. And you, I, I can imagine that as a nation, the Central African Republic, who are starved of top-level success in the elite echelons of international sport, uh, would have been thinking to themselves that what they really needed was a three-time Wimbledon champion to turn around their fortunes by being an attaché. And, of course, in the Central African Republic, kids speak of little else apart from the evolution of men's grass court tennis in the 1980s from a game of touch to a game of power. The clash of stars exemplified, of course, as any child on the streets of Bangui will tell you by the back-to-back-to-back trilogy of Boris Becker v. Stefan Edberg finals. When I, it, who is Edberg sporting attaché for? That's what I want to know. Belize. But, yeah, I mean, he played you know, a beautiful serve volley game, albeit with a lack of personal charisma. I <laughs> just cannot hear the phrase diplomatic immunity without thinking of lethal weapon two. <laughs> 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 diplomatic immunity. That's just been revoked due to some kind of footfall. <laughs> Your uh, correspondence now, and we've had more physical correspondence. Another postcard has uh, has arrived. This is the future of communication. Stop <laughs> writing to my place of work. He's <laughs> freaking my colleagues out. <laughs> Keep writing to <laughs> place of work. Oh, I'll tell you what we haven't done uh, for our guest producer, Mark. Um, f*** you, Mark. Yeah. Hey. There we go. F*** you. Write a passage. The whole reason I did it. There yeah. you go. Um... <laughs> Uh, we had a postcard from J. Benjamin Berry in, in, in Texas for the World Cup Golden Boots Spermatozoa Contest. Uh, we'll announce the full results in a few weeks. So do bombard Chris with more postcards. <laughs> this email came in from uh, Martin, a long-time listener, first-time emailer. Uh, hello, Andy, and delete as appropriate... <laughs> stroke Alice... Stroke, oh, I can delete the rest. Um, and uh, <laughs> you can retrospectively bleep out... The uh, I always try I recently saw an article saying that WWE will hold the first Super Showdown on Saturday, October the 6th uh, at the Melbourne Cricket Ground and coincidentally the day before the Bugle live show at the Lowry Theatre in Salford (laughs) do come along Um, do you think that wrestling events should be held in cricket grounds or is this just a crossover event the sporting world has been waiting for Wrestlo cricket. <laughs> I mean, it's. I mean, the game is trying all manner of innovations to popularise itself, even though it's already massively popular in large parts of the world. And I mean, the English cricketing authorities have taken the 2020 format, which has proved ludicrously, almost destructively popular, and thought, "Oh, let's see if we can f- that up." I mean, maybe this is their effort to restore uh, the prestige of the uh, the five day game, Alice. I mean, clearly this is I mean... weighing heavily on you. <laughs> Full contact, no holds barred, weapons included, deathmatch, Thunderdome cricket. Right. I'm all for it. You have the full full attention of the England and Wales Cricket Board. Just a, a full face mask, a lycra bodysuit and a box. Right. That's what, well, and then people just like smashing each other in the... Wherever's with yep, twelve twelve men enter, one man leaves. That right. kind of thing. <laughs> um, dear Andy, this comes from uh, J. F. Velasco in Atlanta, Georgia. Uh, as your probably brackets only Mexican listener, and after the historic win by El Tri um, against the German squad, I solemnly request a Mexican pun run to celebrate the victory of my proud nation over the current world champions. And what happened with the World Cup Bugle merch? You guys are leaving a lot of money on the table. 
well, I mean, we were in talks with FIFA to become the official merch providers for the World Cup, <laughs> but they decided to go with someone who um, actually ever makes merch. Um, someday, Mexi- Mexican pun, a Mexican pun run. Um, right, I mean, I'll have to return to this at a at a at a future time, but um, there's got to be something to do with Guadalajara, hasn't it? Fajita. Come on, what else is Mexican? Enchilada. Corona. Burrito. I mean, brainstorming Mexican things will just make you sound racist. <laughs> Sombrero. <laughs> well, as, as, as Donald Trump has proved over the last couple of years. Uh, we will return to Mexican puns at some point. Um, do keep your emails coming in to hellobuglers at thebuglepodcast.com. Uh, there are some Bugle live shows imminent in Britain, uh, the 10th of July at the Underbelly uh, in London, um, the 15th and 22nd of August in Edinburgh, and more uh, later in the year. Go to thebuglepodcast.com and click on the live link. Uh, you can see me doing Satirist for Hire at the Soho Theatre in London uh, from the 18th to the 21st of July. There's also a World Cup Satirist for Hire special on the 5th of July at the, uh, at the Underbelly. And Alice, you are doing your trilogy show here in London. Yes, I am. On the 1st of July at the Leicester Square Theatre, uh, three hours of comedy. Uh, if you want to come and see it, it's at 5pm, 1st of July in London. If you're in Sydney, come and see Irrational Fear at Giant Dwarf on the 29th of June. Uh, if you are asking how I am get, get from Sydney in the 29th of June to London on the 1st of July, ready to perform three hours of comedy, I say, F*** you, don't judge my incredibly disorganised life choices. Uh, listen to Tea with Alice, listen to Troll Play, make sure you look after your friends and make sure they get home safely at night. And you can also see both me and Alice in uh, Edinburgh. I'll be doing uh, from the 16th to the 27th of August. Uh, you're doing the whole festival. Doing the whole festival. From the... From the beginning to the, the end. To the beginning of the end of August. Yes. Um, all details on the internet and various other uh, stars of the Bugle uh, will also be there. Uh, Anivab's doing the full run. Nish. Nish, Nish is, is doing, doing a, new material. a work in progress work in like progress. the lazy f- he is. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and uh, yes, I'll be there with uh, right questions, wrong answers, updated from the uh, from the Melbourne run uh, this year. Thank you very much for listening, Buglers, yeah. and uh, thanks also to our guest producer Mark, Thank who has uh, run a tight ship there through the <laughs> multiple double glazing. In I'm this gone. Year. Chris is now fully obsolete. <laughs> <laughs> F- you, Mark. <laughs> Thank you, Alice. Thanks, Alice. As always, uh, we will be back next week. Goodbye. Bye. Hi, it's producer Chris from The Bugle here. Did you know that I have a new series of my podcast, Richie Firth, Travel Hacker, out now? It's the show where Richie Firth and I talk about how to make travel better in our very special way. In this series, we discuss line bikes, Teslas, the London Overground, and a whole bunch of other random stuff that possibly involves wheels or tracks or engines of some variety. God, what a hot sell this is. I mean, you, you, you must be so excited. Listen now.